My wife tells me there are two kinds of people in this world, those who set goals and those who don't. You can imagine which kind of person she is and which kind of person I am. <clears throat> so if you're the kind of person who starts the day off the list and writes down all the things that you're going to do that day and then check them off as you go, good for you. <laughs> Some of us like to finish the day, write down all the things that we did, and then check them off. <laughs> you know, so it's, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you like to write things out and check them off, but the whole point is um, to get your goals accomplished. You want to have something worthwhile done at the end of the day. And sometimes in my line of work, uh, I, I, I could be sitting at my desk typing and researching, writing sermons. Uh, all day long, and I, I, I close my door at the end of the day, and I'm going, what have I done? Like, I have nothing to show for my work. Um, and other times, I get to go out and do physical things and create things and make things. I'm putting some beadboard in one of my bathrooms right now. Like, I can look to see what I've accomplished. I did something. This whole uh, series of messages is about kind of working towards an end goal, living our faith in a way that others can see who's the boss in our life. And it's not your spouse, it's Jesus is, this, is the boss, and we're trying to please him each day. So we're talking about living out our faith, and for, for those of you who haven't known the reason for our Duplo Tower, it's because a couple of uh, weeks ago, Neil said uh, he handed out Duplo of one piece to each person in the congregation, and he said, I want you to understand that, that you're, you're great, uh, you know, in and who you are of yourself, but... But when we join together, we can accomplish so much more. As a congregation, when we, we work together, when we strive together, when we chase after the goals that God has given us, together we can do great things. And so we're leaving our, our, our picture of togetherness up through this series of messages. We have a couple chapters left to go, actually just one chapter, chapter four, that we'll cover over the next two weeks. And uh, Pastor Neil will be uh, leading us next week, uh, I believe, and I hope, <laughs> And uh, <laughs> Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we also are surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. How many of you have been watching the Olympics? So how many of the 100-meter uh, um, athletes have a backpack on? How many of them have a book bag that they're carrying by their side? You know, they don't want, the, the, the stuff they're wearing is so, so light. There's, even the, the, the uniforms are the lightest possible fabric. They want to lay aside everything that could hinder them in their race. And Paul is going to challenge us uh, today in, in Philippians chapter 3, the last half, about how to, how to be ready, body, mind, and soul, for the greatest ever prize that is uh, available to mankind. He had this prize in mind, the ultimate prize, when he wrote the letter to the good people in Philippi. And he starts off in verse 12 by saying, not that I have already obtained this or am I, I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul, up to this point, has been talking about the wonderful prize that we have, the ultimate prize, the salvation that we have, a place waiting for us as God's people in heaven. But we get to experience it, tastes of it here on earth. F.B. Meyer says, the nearer the saint comes to the perfect life, the farther he feels from it. 
It is only when we have climbed the foothills that we realize how lofty the mountain summits are. Paul is saying, I'm working hard. I'm working harder than anyone else, but I've still got so far to go for that prize. Um, and, and he's going to, to share with us a little bit about the, the cha- challenges that he faced. So um, I don't know if you've been following the women's soccer team, any of you, the Canadian women's soccer team? You know, good on them. They, inspiring. But for the past number of Olympics, they've, they've had, uh, what's the color they've been having? Bronze, is it? And so their theme, this whole, I don't know how many years now, probably for the last uh, four or five years since the last Olympics was, what was, their, what was their theme? Change the color. That's all they can say is change the color. They knew they were going to get some color, but they didn't want the same one again. They didn't want to have bronze again. And so change the color. And their uh, inspiration for the past 21 years, with an unparalleled 187 goals to her name, was their captain, Burnaby Native, Sinclair, uh, Christine Sinclair, and her hard persistence. And they said she's, she's not a, a loud, brassy, kind of bossy person. She's a quiet, strong inspiration. Um, and, that, and, and she carried them through. I don't know if she's, anyone here if she's retiring or not. Uh, I hope not. Uh, keep going. For Paul, his life's inspiration was Jesus Christ, the true definition of a greatest of all time person. No one has ever achieved more than Jesus Christ on behalf of humanity. Hebrews 12.2, Paul describes him as the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, he despised the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Paul says, I don't consider that I've, 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 I'm not finished the race. I'm still going. I haven't achieved what I need to achieve in my life. I haven't taken possession of it. But one thing I do, one thing I do, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about biblical characters that were really known for one thing. Moses brought the people out of Egypt to the promised land. Joshua defeated the city of Jericho, helped settle the people in the promised land. Abraham was known for the one thing of becoming a father of a nation, a big thing. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was the mother of Jesus. We don't know much else. She had, people have one thing that really made them stand out. A few exceptions were in the, in the Bible. I think David... He's got a bunch of different balls he's juggling, becoming, yeah, kill Goliath, write some poetry, you know, lead a nation. Um, but he's a different kind of character. We'll look, look at him one day. And thinking about Paul, one thing, I've got to, first of all, forget what, what's in my past. I've got, to, I've got to let go of what's behind. Paul had regrets. Paul had imprisoned believers. He assisted in the death of church leaders. He instilled fear in the hearts of all Christians, followers of Jesus. They hadn't even, they hadn't hardly been called Christians yet when, when Paul was already persecuting them. They were just followers of the way. No doubt the faces of those who he had persecuted were still etched into his mind. Perhaps he was haunted by their pleas for mercy. But he could not let his past limit his present and his future. So God had chosen him, I want you to hear this line, God had chosen him out of that lifestyle and forgiven him. Now he had to forgive himself and move on in Christ. God saw who he was, God saw what he'd done and said, I'm picking you, I've got got a a plan for your life, I want you to to walk with me and we're going to change the world. 
Forgetting what lies behind. Many people have things in their past they would just like to forget. They live with regrets. You know, regrets are okay to help you remember what not to do, <laughs> again, but they shouldn't be limiting what you can do in the future. Some people say, no, no, I don't want to fail again, or I don't want to be put in that place again, or I don't want to, I'm just afraid. Uh, sometimes the past, we look at the past, and it limits our future. Um, some of our, ch- sometimes our children or our parents are pretty good at not letting us forget our mistakes. Any of you ever made a mistake? Uh, yeah, sometimes your kids can say, well, remember the last time you tried that? I, I sh- I, one day I'll tell you about teaching my kids how to change a tire on my car, and I broke two, two uh, jacks in the process, and it wasn't a fun day. Regrets. I learned from that, but I didn't let it stop me from changing tires again, uh, I tell you. So sometimes our parents uh, or our kids, they, they lock us in. They label us. They won't let us grow past our past. And they just assume that we're always going to be like that or we'll always react that way. But, you know, we can grow. And with God's help, we can be different people. We don't let our past limit our future. Psalm 103, verse 1 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. In fact, God is genius at taking our regrets, our, our failures, and in redeeming them for his purposes and using them in his kingdom. It's like, you think that's bad. Watch what I can do with that. Watch what kind of God I am. Watch how I can take your failures and turn them into my successes. The second thing about forgetting the past is that when we look back, um, it could lead to going back. Sometimes we come out of a lifestyle, come out of, of places, and, and they, they kind of call to us. They kind of want to draw us back into some of the negative things that we've been a part of in the past. When we look back, like Paul's saying, I'm going to forget, I'm going to forget the past. But sometimes when we look back, we go back. Jesus said in Luke 9:62, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Sometimes looking to the past is an indication that there's a reluctance to kind of break ties with the past. Sometimes we're kind of holding on to some stuff that's in our past that we just need to let go of so that we can be fully engaged in the present, fully engaged with what God has for us in the future. Got to reject the temptation to go back to what was and not lose all the ground that we have made up with, with Jesus. The, the third thing about not looking back is that sometimes we can idolize the past. Sometimes the things in the past aren't actually bad. Sometimes they were great. Um, the business, people that are in business say that the, some of the worst things that can happen to you in business is success because you stop. You start glorying in the past, all the things you've achieved, and all of a sudden you realize you're behind and your competitors just passed you because you were so content and just hanging out and enjoying the glory and all the lights that's shining on you and your company because of what you achieved. And then they're past. Now you've got to play catch-up because you're so enamored with the things that you've done in the past. You know, it's great to have past successes, but that can also prevent you from future successes if you hold on to it too long. Paul says, for many reasons, we need to shed our past 
and embrace our future in Jesus. So let me tell you a little bit about my dad. He was my pastor growing up. He was my, my wife, Kim's pastor as well growing up. Baptized both of us, actually, different times. And, um, but my dad, he's, uh, he wrote a book called Experiencing God, which, which kind of went around the world in dozens and dozens of different languages. He's spoken at the United Nations. He's spoken at the White House, written 35 books. Uh, he's, he's done a lot of amazing things. And if anyone should be able to just rest. <laughs> like, I, you know, he could say, I've kind of arrived. You know, people ask me all the time for advice. He asked me to, to speak at their conferences. He's been in 200 countries speaking. You think my dad would be that kind of person to just say, you know, um, I can coast now. I've kind of done all I need to do. But he's not like that. In fact, what he likes to do every few years is um, after he's been studying and using a Bible, uh, he will... He will put it on the shelf, and I should show you, like, this is, this is one of his Bibles, and almost every page he has highlighted and marked. I, you can't find a page where he hasn't done a lot of stuff. Well, he puts it on the shelf, and he buys a new Bible with a wide margin, and he starts all over again. He doesn't want to live in the past. He doesn't want an old word from God that God gave him when he was in his 20s, or when he was just getting married or as a young, young pastor. He doesn't want to, the word that when he was facing challenges of, of, of being a dad or, or facing retirement, he wants a fresh word from God all the time. You know, some of us have the Bible from when we were the first Bible. This is my first Bible. I found this. And it says, to Tom, from Grandma and Grandpa, July 1st, that was my birthday, 1968. Some people still holding on to that. They haven't grown past even the early words from God. See, my dad wanted a fresh word from God because he's not living in those that being a, trying to be a, a first-time parent or trying to, you know, all those old things. He's like, I, I'm facing new challenges every day. I need a new word from the Lord today. Let me challenge you to, you know, but I know where those verses are in my Bible. I turn right to them every time and, yeah, maybe it's time to put the past in the past and say, God, what do you have for me today? What do you have for my family now? What do you want for my company in the future? Where are you taking us that we can bring glory to you today and not just rest on our laurels? Verse 13, Paul says, I'm straining forward to what lies ahead, and I press on towards a goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Have you seen the, the amazing video technology that they have at the Olympics? And, and, and they're using, it started at the last Olympics where they can do this totally slow motion thing. Like, it's, it's just incredible. Now they've got this 365 stuff going on. What I like is when I see the runners just crossing the line, you know, they're just like, and you see their faces and every single muscle on their body is straining for that. And it's amazing because you can see they're, they're 100% physical, uh, spiritual, emotional, psychological. There's 100% of them focused on crossing that line. And they have this slight, who's beside me? And hoping nobody's there or hit by a nose or an eyelash, that kind of thing. They, but they're totally in it. Like there's nothing, nothing else can distract them from that that second, and this is what Paul is saying, I'm straining forward. I don't want any distractions. I want 100% to be 
straining forward, pressing on towards a goal for that prize. You know, once that, that athlete gets a, a medal, doesn't matter what kind, their identity is changed forever. They will never, ever be the same because everywhere they go, people want to hear, want to see that medal. Why aren't you wearing your medal? I want to see your medal. And, they, and people come up for autographs and on the endorsements start having Wheaties boxes come looking for you to put your picture on the cereal boxes and, and on your TV commercials before, before you had a medal. Yeah. <laughs> now that you have a medal, it's all different. Paul is saying, I want everything to be different. Like, I don't want to be the same person. When, I, when Christ came into my life, I was transformed. All my goals and my, uh, my future, everything I strive for is new. Verse 14, I press on towards a goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Do you know every single believer has a higher calling? Has an upward call, a call that stands above all the other calls in your life before friends, before family, before church, before uh, anything. This call of God on your life takes precedent and takes priority. It's the upward calling, the higher calling. The higher calling that wins the prize of the crown of righteousness, a crown of life, a crown that never fades away. Maybe you don't like crowns. No, crowns are pretty heavy. They can weigh you down, but... The crown is just a symbol of the ultimate prize of eternal life. We talked about crowns and, oh, you're working with kids. Oh, you'll get another jewel in your crown. And going, yeah, I don't want more jewels. <laughs> What's my, you know, there's a place waiting for us. When we become a Christian, we have reservations sent in heaven. There's a place being prepared for us. And that's the prize that Paul wants. He doesn't want to do anything that would disqualify him from winning that prize. He doesn't want to be... Caught short, being distracted, sitting on the bench, watching all the other runners go by. He is straining forward. Every muscle, every uh, attention that he has is focused on getting that prize. Because he says in verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. We're just passing through this earth. If we're intent on collecting all the collectibles here on earth and acquiring all the properties and padding our accounts here on earth, all of that burns up. In the end, we take nothing of this with us. The only things we take with us to heaven are the lives that have been impacted by our obedience to Christ. The lives that we've shared Jesus with, those people that have given their lives, the, the, the spiritual things we've been investing in here on earth, that's what comes with us. You can't take that away. You can take everything else away. I'm terrified for people right now in Okanagan. They're, another town has been obliterated by fire. And it's, it's a bit of a, a metaphor for the Christian life that, you know, there will be a day when we, when we give an account of our life to God. And it's like we'll be passing through a fire, a refining fire that will burn up all the stuff that's worthless for heaven and leave only the things that, that last, the gold, the silver, the riches of the eternal impacts that we've had. That's what will last. I think there's a lot that will come to Jesus empty-handed because they, they didn't run the race to win. They liked having Jesus, but they just didn't want to follow him. They kind of want to have that uh, eternal life thing checked off that box, but they don't want to actually let following Christ change them. Christ, uh, Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even subject everything to himself. You know, I've, I've been a pastor for a lot of years, and I've had a chance to be with people in the hospital when 
when they knew their time was short. And they say to me, Pastor, I'm not afraid to die. I'm looking forward to seeing Jesus face to face. And I want to be with all my friends that have gone before me and are waiting for me. They're ready to get the prize. They're ready to, to, to grab a hold of all of that that they've been straining for their whole life. You see, I, I realized as I was studying this this week that Paul encountered Jesus. You know the story on the road to Damascus when a bright light came shining down, blinded him, and he, he was transformed from a person uh, hurting the church to a person planting churches. But what I realized is that he got to see the transformed Jesus. He didn't see Jesus uh, as a man. He didn't see Jesus as the disciples did. He got to see the transformed Jesus, and he, he, he says, we got reservations in heaven, and Jesus is coming back, and we, he's going to transform us to be just like him. And he can say that because he's seen Jesus, and Jesus promised certain things for anyone who would believe in him and place their, their faith in him, let him be their Lord of their life. In verse 15, he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. Let's agree on these things. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. Some people, some people fight against these things. They, they, want, they, they change the verses. They change the priorities. They have other things they're chasing after. I, I will, I'll follow Christ later. They don't often get an opportunity to do that. You see, the more mature in the faith that we become, the more humble we should become. The more servant-hearted and kind and generous and self-sacrificing we should become. The foundation of our faith is built on Jesus himself. And then throughout our life, we, we, we build into that. We have a, a game plan, so to speak, to become more mature, to become more faithful, to become more self, self-sacrificing, to become more effective in God's kingdom. So what do we build? What do we, what do, we do? The in- interviews with the athletes, they all talk about following the game plan. I think it was... Uh, DeGrasse that said, um, you know, how did you win? What were you thinking? He says, I just followed the plan. I just followed, you know, for 200 meters, I stayed on my plan and I won. And, and I heard that over and over again. They have a game plan or a running plan or a rowing plan and we just stay on the plan. Well, in the Christian life, there's a plan. We add to the foundation. It's our strategy for finishing well and running the race. Second Peter 1.5, it says, do your best to improve your faith, to build onto the foundation that you have begun. You can do this by adding goodness and knowledge, self-control, patience, devotion to God, concern for others, and love. And if you keep growing in this way, in verse 8 it says, it will show you what you ought to know about our Lord Jesus Christ and how he has made your lives useful and meaningful. But if you don't grow, you are like someone who is nearsighted or blind and you have forgotten that your past sins are forgiven. My friends, Peter says, you must do all you can to show that God has really chosen and selected you. And if you keep on doing this, you won't stumble and fall. Paul says in verse 17 of third chapter in Philippians, he says, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So I want you to think back over your life. Who in your life has been that person that of consistent faith? They've been following Christ for a good deal of their life. Um, they've demonstrated exceptional dependency and trust on God. 
They've been consistently faithful through the years. They haven't wavered in their faith. Who is that person who constantly encourages you or demonstrates an unyielding joy in their life? Can you think of people along the way that have been great examples of what it means to be a follower of Christ? Are you someone people can imitate? Are you someone people can look at your life and see how you react to people and see how you send those emails and send those text messages and say, that's someone that I want to be like. I want to be, I want to be just like them. There are several people over my lifetime where I've, I wished I could be more like them. Little, you know, as patient as they are, as kind as they are, as generous as they are, as, as, as humble as they are. And I think, I, I kind of have their picture, pictures of their faces in, in my mind thinking, I don't want to keep being all like me. I want to keep working towards a goal of being more like them. And they weren't perfect. They'd just been down the road farther than me. Doesn't matter how you were raised or how your mother or father treated you. Doesn't matter if you think you have a short fuse or if you think you need to point out everyone else's shortcomings. Keep your eyes on those who have gone before. Keep your eyes focused on those who are great to imitate, to to model after. Look to the good examples and stop letting the bad examples influence you. Forget the past. Embrace the future. Verse 18 and 19 in uh, Philippians chapter 3 is a sad, sad couple of verses because it talks about those who started walking down the road of faithfulness and decided they didn't want it. They turned away. They walked the other way. In fact, not only did they abandon the faith, they became antagonistic to those who were faithful. They became enemies of the cross. Like disciple Judas, who tasted of, um, tasted of the life he could have had in Christ, but in the end rejected it and chased after personal gain. There are people who obviously turn away from God, who once walked... But there are others who are not so obvious. Sometimes they reject God, but they stay in the church. That's where all their friends are. That's what they, they have been doing for all their life. But they're not, they're not allowing Christ to be the Lord of their life. They're not following as a faithful follower. They're being antagonistic. They're being divisive. They're being uh, spiteful. Uh, they, they want, they, they're destructive in what their uh, approach is. And sometimes the worst influencers are those that come from within instead of those are without. These are people that have looked back. They looked back and they decided what was in the past was more enticing. It's too hard to be a Christian. Too hard to be faithful. Too hard to let someone else be in control of their life. They wanted salvation but didn't want to give up their old ways. They want the benefits of following Jesus without actually having to follow him. Paul is saying that even though they were among us for a time, they were not one of us. Your citizenship, he keeps saying, is in heaven. You don't belong here. You're, you're preparing for the place that he has prepared for you. He's going to transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject everything unto himself. So it's a place reserved for us. There's a prize waiting for us. Then everything else we accumulate will be left behind. And all the things that we've invested in his kingdom will be going before us. doesn't matter about your past it only matters about what's coming up in the future. I don't know if you follow the, the American gymnast Jade Carey. She was, um, she was looked at as uh, huge in potential and uh, worthy of winning a medal. And one of the favorites in, um, during the vault qualifying rounds. 
But as she was thundering down last Sunday, the, the blue carpet to do her vault, she, she tripped. And her amazing uh, twirly, flippy-do thing landing uh, became just a simple backflip and a land. And she was in jeopardy of not even uh, going, going on farther. And her dad, who was her coach, his name is Brian Carey, came up to her the next day, knew that she was shattered and dejected, and said, Yesterday was probably the worst day of your life. But that doesn't mean that tomorrow or today can't be the best day of your life. And she took that to heart. And uh, they say, by all accounts, she did an incredible vault, the best she has ever done in her life, her career, the best routine. And it allowed her, with her points on that vault, allowed her whole team to get the silver medal. Yesterday might have been the worst day of your life, but it doesn't mean that tomorrow can't be the best day. Remember Paul is saying, there's, there's a prize. There's a race that we're running, and you don't have to run it alone. The greatest thing about the Christian life is that no matter what your past has looked like with Jesus, tomorrow can be amazing. Don't look back. Look forward. Don't live with regrets. Press on to future victories. So our challenge today with Philippians is, are we running that race, or are we coasting? Are we content with living with a, a stale relationship with God, with a, with a relationship that's, that's gone kind of moldy. There's nothing new. We're not growing. We're not reading. We're not discovering new things. I, I was speaking with uh, one of our members in the foyer this morning, and she says, you know, I just, I just read a verse, and it just, for the first time, it just impacted me. And, and, and I know that I'm, I would just say I'm younger than she is, and that means that she's been walking with the Lord longer than I have. And she came up with something new even this week in her Bible that she's probably read a hundred times before. But this week, God showed her something new. That's, that's what I want. I want something new every week with God. Every day when I open up my Bible, God, show me something today that I need to know. God, the Father, Jesus, our Lord, and the Holy Spirit are not only our cheerleaders, they are our coaches and our enablers to succeed in everything we do. So as a church, let's press on together for that prize. You know, we have uh, a lunch afterwards, and I, I went out and I handed uh, invitations to all of the houses that could see our building in our neighborhood. The ones that I look out of my window and I pray for throughout the week, I went out and I put, I probably have to go pick them all up later, but... <laughs> I put them under the windshields of all the cars I could find and put posters on the mailboxes. And I wonder, God going to bring someone that we don't know to our church today to have lunch? What will you do? Will you, will you say hi? Will you say, hey, thanks for coming? Why don't you come to some of the other things that we're doing? Love, have you seen through the building? Would you like to have a look? No, I've lived here for like five years and I don't know what goes on in there. Oh, let me show you around. You know, we're, we're running the race. We're reaching out. God has given us an assignment to reach our community and our neighborhood, our city, to send people around the world with the good news. We have an assignment. We are his ambassadors. And today, even today, we have an opportunity to share the love of Jesus with someone who may desperately be needing to hear it. Will you accept the challenge? Will you be a part of the team? Will you... 
Will you add your block to the tower and say, I want to be a part of this. I want to go where, where this church is going. I want... So new things are happening. You see the colors that are being painted. You're going to see some foyer renovations. You're going to... this church... Honestly, I talked to one of the neighbors down here, and they said, did someone buy that building? Do they have a new congregation? Is that why they're painting it? I said, no, we've got a great future. Why don't you come join us and be a part of what's going on at MRAC? Yeah. Can we, can we have a better cheer than that? Yeah. So our lunch today is simply about loving one another. I haven't seen you in a coon's age, but I want to shake your hand and I want to give you a hug and say I love you and I missed you. And can we together reach this community? Can we reach our neighborhoods? Can we do what God can empower us to do for his glory, his kingdom? Let, let me pray for you, and um, we're going to have a song. I'm going to ask again our elders and our staff to be at the front if you would like to pray. If there's something that you just can't let go of in your past, and it's time to let go of it, it's time to move forward, let them pray with you. Let's say, let's be free. Let's throw off those things that are entangling us so we can run the race strong and with God's power. If you want to say, you know what, I've been coasting in my life. I haven't heard anything new from God in a long time. I want that to change. Do you want to come and pray and have someone encourage you? Please take the time. Whatever God's doing in your life, respond to him. Don't stay the same. Never come to church and leave the same person. Let the Spirit of God always work in you to be new.